We are in the midst of this, this year-long series really now on John's gospel. And uh, we've been hanging out in this book since fall of last year. And as the church has heard me say before, this is like a sit and soak kind of series. Out of 21 chapters, we now come to the end of chapter 14, which means we're two-thirds of the way through today. And, and we've taken this deliberate journey all the way through this story for a really intentional purpose. Um, John, John says this is why he wrote his gospel. He wrote the story of Christ so that you and I might believe and that coming to believe we might have life in Jesus' name. It's that simple. John's entire resolve for writing this book is that the light bulb would go off not only in our minds but in our hearts that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And I remind us of that, that important piece this morning because we're, we're going to turn to this place where Jesus invites us now to look both inside at ourselves and then to look outside at our lives and really examine our love for him, to try to consider our faith in him. You know, I can think of like hundreds of times where I've heard the gospel story, and you probably can too, whether it's sermons or, or retreats, um, Bible studies, small groups, Christmas, Easter, but the question is not whether you've heard the gospel story before. The question is whether or not you believe in the good news, whether or not you live the good news. And this morning, Jesus gives us this somewhat of a, call it maybe a litmus test to evaluate our love for him. In fact, let me just set this up before we jump in. Christ is sitting at the last supper with his disciples in the upper room, a lot like last week if you were here. And he's just told his disciples, I'm going to the cross, that he's going to leave them for a place they can't comprehend. And the room goes cold. The disciples are troubled. They are confused and upset. And so in response to this, Jesus tells them right now, this is the time you need to put your faith in me. You believe in God, you need to believe also in me. And just to be stark clear, Jesus then gets really specific about what that looks like. So we're going to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. Uh, let's now hear God's word. Chapter 14, verse 15 to 31. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, remember he left the room last week, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And there's so much to digest in this passage this morning, right? But I'm going to make things really simple, really easy. This is a four-part sermon for those of you taking notes. And all four points are going to come to the same angle. Every one of them are going to lead us back to the exact same place. And this is the lesson. Jesus says, if you truly love me, your life will follow my word. If you love me, you will live my word. We jumped the gun a little bit, but look at these four points. If you love me, first point, you will keep my commandments. Second, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, Jesus says, and my Father will love him. And just to be clear, Jesus then takes the inverse approach. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. I'm not sure there's a more repetitive lesson in all the scriptures. To truly love Jesus is to to find that there's a fruit of obedience to him in your life. But before we get ahead of ourselves, you have to hear this, right? This, This lesson is not about works nearly as much as it is about love. When I was growing up, I kind of understood two sorts of obedience in my childhood. The first was what I would call a selfish kind of obedience. It was cause and effect. I obeyed my parents because I had to. You might relate to this. And I knew that if I broke curfew, I'd get grounded. So I was always home on time because to miss that mark was to miss out on the privileges that next time I wanted to go out. In other words, the only reason I obeyed was that I didn't want to suffer mom and dad's wrath. You with me? The second kind of obedience, though, that was much different. As I got older and I came home from college, I began to realize the importance of being home at a decent hour. I knew to stay out late would be to worry my mother, and I knew that she'd stay up waiting on me until I got back home. More than that, I, I knew that my parents trusted me, and to ignore their wishes would be to push back on the relationship that we had, cause them a sleepless night. And I knew to honor them would mean to be home. Now here's my question. Of those two examples, which obedience was rooted in love? Jesus said, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. But hear me out, because this part's really important. Jesus isn't saying this is something we should do here. He's saying this is what love is. This is what love looks like. This is what you will do. Let me get nerdy for a minute, because you know how I do this. Let's just talk about the difference between a prescription and a description for a minute. A prescription is, is something that we should do, right? When, when you get a prescription from the doctor, the doctor says, here, here's some medicine, you should take it. I'm prescribing you this pill and here's how you should use it. The operative word being should. A description though, that's much different, right? A description explains who you are. A description doesn't tell us what we should do. It says, this is what the medicine is. You go to the pharmacy and the the pharmacist says, this is what the pill is called and this is what it does for you. I share that because when Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my word. This is anything but a prescriptive lesson. This is a descriptive lesson. He's not telling us that we should do these things in following him. He's describing a life of love. 
when you put your faith in me, if you truly love me, your life will now live that love. Let me just belabor the point because this is super important. Think about the last time you got a speeding ticket. When you were pushing the pedal to the floor, what was your game plan? Or am I the only one? If it's me, like true confession time, right? I like to go just four or five miles per hour over the speed limit because I assume that makes me a small fish in the officer's pond, right? And as long as I keep it reasonable, I think, well, maybe he'll look the other way. But in that moment, if you were to ask me where my heart is, I would, I would have to tell you it's rooted in anything but love. It's not about my love for the officer keeping me safe or my love for my family in the car, the love for the person driving next to me. It's about how much can I get away with before I get a ticket, right? That's not the relationship Jesus is getting at here. Jesus says, when you truly come to love me, you can't help but follow my commandments because true love leads to obedience. Remember one of my best friends growing up, he got caught at a party by his mom and the next day he was super depressed about this. I'd never really seen him like that before and I was, I was concerned. I asked him, I said, how much trouble are you in? He said, well, I'm, I'm not in any trouble. I said, well, then what's all the pouting about? He said, well, it's worse than that. He said, I got in the car last night. He said, my mom broke down crying. She told me this was her worst nightmare. And then she told me words I never thought I'd hear. She said she was disappointed. He said, man, that was plenty punishment for me. See, this morning, Jesus gives his disciples this invitation. He says, just before he goes to the cross, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And if you're wondering what that looks like, evaluate your life for a minute. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. See, because whoever does not love me does not keep my words. This is not like a legalistic, prescriptive kind of declaration. This is about a right relationship with God. To love Jesus is to follow him with everything we have and everything we are. There is no other outcome. The book of James tells us faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, is dead. You know, we know that the, the story of Christ tells us that works won't save us, right? That Jesus and his atonement, that, that's what saves us. And yet historically, the church, we, we wrestle with this topic. And oftentimes we swing to one of two extremes when it comes to the, the conversation. On the one side, we swing to this legalistic view that even though Jesus died for you, you're, you're still not good enough. You have to earn it somehow. So historically, we make up rules that Christians don't dance. They don't play cards, and, and that suit, it better be iron when you come to church. For some reason, we have this tendency as God's people to continue trying to strive or earn for our salvation, even though that's the opposite of why Jesus came. So much so that we'll cling to laws that, that Jesus never made. But the other extreme, that's just as poisonous, right? It says, well, because of Jesus, I don't have to worry about God's law. I've been set free from the law, so I, I can sin all week, live a godless lifestyle Monday through Saturday, and as long as I show up on Sunday, we're good. As long as I look the part, it's all okay. In fact, it, it wasn't that long ago that a, a controversy erupted on a reality show. I believe it was The Bachelorette. Anybody remember this? It, got all, it all got started when one of the contestants declared that very thing. She said, it doesn't matter what I do in this show. I have Jesus. Don't judge me. But this is anything new, right? Paul asked this very question to the early church. Look at this in Romans 6.1. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So when it comes to our works, we often find ourselves either waiting in legalism over here or floating in lawlessness over here. Neither of those extremes are helpful at all. But then we open up God's word this morning and we find this middle ground, right? This gospel way. Jesus says, no, if you love me, from that love will now flow your obedience. Not out of a prescription or coercion or shame, but out of gratitude and faith and love. We were in Yellowstone a few months ago, opening day, and you know, we've been to the park countless times, but I saw this geyser I had never noticed before in the Norris Basin. It was this tiny, tiny little hole in the ground where, where every few minutes you could hear it start to bubble up from under the earth. And if you stood there long enough, slowly you would watch this pool form and, and then it would get bigger and bigger and bigger until it started to splash and eventually overflow into another pool just below it. As I was sharing this for the first time out loud at Legacy, I thought that's, that's actually the picture of every geyser in Yellowstone Park, isn't it? But this one, this one somehow got better. Just go with me. Picture this in your mind for a minute because I feel like this is a picture of our love with Jesus, right? When you put your faith in Christ, when you truly realize what he's done for you, you can't help but overflow with that love. But here's the hard part. Here's the elephant in the room. You and I, we know we've broken God's word. We know that we've failed to keep his commandments. We know that we haven't held to his way or his truth or his teaching. What do we do with that? What does that say about our, our love? There's another theme in this passage that Jesus puts on repeat. He doesn't talk about it four times, but he talks about it twice and at length. And as he's talking about our love for him and our obedience to his word, he makes us this promise. Look at this in John 14. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In other words, this obedience to my word, it isn't something you'll do on your own. I'm sending in reinforcements. You now have a helper, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of your life. Side note, as you look at that, notice the Trinity in this passage. Jesus will ask the Father, and the Father will send yet another helper to be with you forever. He says the helper is the spirit of truth. And then just so Jesus is super clear about the game plan, look at this. He says in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and then bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. In other words, Jesus said, I know you can't do this on your own. When I go to the cross, you'll have another helper to watch over you. The world won't have a clue what that means, but you will because you will now speak to your heart as you follow me. The Greek word that, that Christ used for helper, it's parakletos or paraclete. Para meaning to come alongside, kalein to call. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, but even more so for the believer, he comes to dwell in us. You know, it's been said before that that word paraclete was, was used for Greek soldiers as they went back to back in, in pairs. When the enemy attacked, they would, they would cling their backs and check each other's backsides, moving back and forth. The battle partner was known as the paraclete. Or in Greek courts, it was the, the legal assistant, right? Summoned to, to advocate for their friend. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But here's how. I'm sending a helper to be by your side. And one scholar, he, he answered this question about our waywardness really well. He said, to want to follow, just to have the desire to follow, is to begin to follow. 
even in our stumbling, even when we fail, to have the desire to obey is to take the first step in obedience. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? To love Christ is to follow him. You cannot have the first without evidence of the other. But here's the most important part in our lesson. Jesus wants you to know that in those baby steps of faith, you now have a paraclete, a helper, the spirit of truth guiding us, encouraging us, equipping us along the way. And Jesus says, like me, like me, the teacher, he will not only teach you everything you need to know, but here's the best part. When you forget, he'll remind you. If we want to get nerdy about it, we call this sanctification. The process of the Holy Spirit working in us to become more Christ-like as we seek him. It's why in the scriptures we, we seem to always find the word and the spirit together, inseparable. Look at how Ephesians 1 says it. It says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Last week I told you a Bob Goff story and his book's so good. I've got another one. Bob tells a story about a friend named Lex. And Lex, at an early age, he lost his eyesight. In fact, Les had 10 failed operations, and by eight years old, he was completely blind. Lex was a go-getter despite his dis disability. And, and in high school, he decided he wanted to run track. And almost immediately, his coaches realized Lex had a gift. Lex was fast. He was really, really fast. The only problem, of course, was Lex couldn't see the track. So along with his coaches, Lex developed this plan. They had a friend run up ahead of him just off the track, and he'd call out his name. And even though Lex couldn't see up ahead, he'd, he'd run towards the voice that he knew he could trust. Well, by college, Lex had become such a pro at sprinting that he jumped into, literally jumped into the, the long jump. Remember, the, the long jump is made for a sprinter, right? You run as fast as you can for 10 and a half feet down a three-foot wide track, and then you use that momentum to leap into the sand. Once more, Lex had his teammate come up and square his shoulders to the pit, and then he would run down the jump line, and as Lex turned on the afterburners, his friend would yell, Lex, fly, fly, fly. On the third fly, Lex would leap into the air, and land on the other side of the pit. Lex tried out for the Paralympic team. He's one of the best in the world. Why? Because Lex learned to listen to and to follow the paraclete in his life, the helper, the friend. Listen to this. Jesus said, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming back. And until then, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this spirit of truth will be with you, not just now in this moment, but forever. You know, when I think about love overflowing into obedience, I, I think a lot about my, my late grandparents. My grandpa and grandma served one another so faithfully. My, my, grandpa, my grandma's, uh, her favorite breakfast was a pecan cookie and a cup of coffee every single day. Every morning without fail, even when she was bedridden, my grandpa would bring her breakfast in bed, a cookie on a plate with that cup of warm coffee. Breakfast in bed was his way of showing her that he loved her. It was such a small gesture and yet faithful every single day. Long before she was bedridden, my grandma used to work hours and hours in the kitchen making dinner. And one time as I was preparing the vegetables with her, I remember she told me, she said, the reason we work hard for dinner as a family is because your grandpa works hard for us. She told me, she said, that's how love works. You mutually serve one another. 
If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Because whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It's not just something we're expected to do. It's something Jesus taught us how to do. Not just with his words, but with his actions. Went to the cross in obedience to the Father. See, when we abide in Christ, when we truly seek him, our lives are no longer just about living by the rules. They're now about us living in his love. Because following Jesus isn't just something that you should do. For those of us who love him, it's who we are. Let's ask God to help us follow him in our love and our faithfulness. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, for loving us so much that you would send your one and only son to die for us. God, we, we know we don't, we don't even begin to comprehend what that love looked like. And Lord, we, we, we also know that that same one who was willing to go to the cross to atone for our sins called us to be obedient to him. Lord, and we confess again that we know there's many times where we aren't, where we, where we fall wayward. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you encourage us, equip us, teach us what we need to know? By your word open, would you remind us of the way that we need to live our lives for you? Lord, we thank you for the, the encourager, for the, the paraclete, the, the helper in our lives. God, help us to listen more for you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.